Oh my God, guys, you definitely do not want to miss this one. I have an absolute legend on this podcast today. Without further ado, let's go ahead and kick it. Hey, Freedom Fighters, welcome to the Active Duty Passive Income Podcast, the only place where military members, veterans, and their families learn how to build wealth through real estate investing. I'm your host, Mike Foster, and I'm here to show you how to stop wasting your benefits. Now get off your ass, step up to the firing line, and make ready for today's lesson. Shooter, stand by. Hey, hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to the Active Duty Passive Income Podcast. I've got another awesome treat for you today. I am sitting here on the phone with Aaron Chapman. He is an amazing character. Honestly, I I can't even, I don't feel like introducing him will do him justice, but he is going to tell you all about himself, his business, and how he operates as a CFO to change and guide your entire investing course and provide amazing experience to the table. Aaron, how are you doing today? Doing really well, man. How are you? Oh, man. I'm incredible and really, really excited to, uh, to share this time with you. Thanks again so much for, uh, for giving us your time. Oh, thanks for having me, man. I know with us being on opposite sides of the planet and then trying to align the timing and all that, this is uh, one of those miracles of modern technology that I think is just one of the awesomest things that makes it available to us to be able to reach out to other people and communicate with each other right now real time. <laughs> right. <laughs> Likewise. Yeah, this is this is definitely interesting. And um, I'm looking forward to joining you on the same side of the planet here soon. So we'll see. <laughs> Very cool, brother. I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully we'll get a chance to meet face to face. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Likewise. Um, so, yeah. So please uh, tell us tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your background. Well, so um, not to go too far back, but I think it's kind of necessary to go back quite a ways. You know, I, uh, I spent my uh, high school years on a cattle ranch, and that was probably my first real opportunity to see a business uh, plan in action. One of the most simple business plans ever existed is, so you, you, you've got the, the, the calves are birthed, they are uh, fed, they're raised, they are brought to a certain point, then you send them off for slaughter and you start over again. Um, there was also doing our, um, you know, doing the, uh, the, the hay, um, I guess, cultivating every, every year, if you will, where we have to get to the point where you're, you're plowing the field, you're planting, you're watering, you're uh, cutting, you're baling, and you're stack, stockpiling, you know, so you can then winter, winter what cattle you kept during the winter period. And it was a lot of hard work. But in reality, I look back on it, it was definitely difficult, but it was not the hardest work I've ever done because now we're in a world where I'm having to use my mind. You know, I went from, from high school to the oil fields of Wyoming working for a welding company, building gas plants and, then, and putting in pipelines. And then from there to running heavy equipment, um, whether it be uh, excavators or loaders or things to that effect, thousands of hours there. And then worked my way into the mines in northern New Mexico with my dad. Um, yeah, he had, we had sold a ranch hall. I was in, in the early 90s. And then my pop was a miner by, you know, since the early days, just after Vietnam, and he had left uh, the military. And so I, it was kind of cool to go underground with him. And I was 
you know, running a uh, what they call a jack leg drill and playing with explosives 700 feet underground. It was a, it was a great time, truly one of the best jobs I've ever had. Oh, wow. But they shut down that project in 1997, and I was one of the first to let go because I was one of the younger guys. Mm. And at that point, I... Um, I was uh, looking for a job. I couldn't find one to save my life. And I had a wife and an infant son going from place to place to place. And even went to the point of trying to get a $10 an hour truck driving job to haul landscape materials. And they wouldn't hire me because I was too overqualified, right? I worked for welding companies. Right. I ran heavy equipment. I drove truck. I worked in the mines. There's no way they're just going to give me a, you know, the, the lower level job within there because they figured I'd probably leave this what I guess. Oh, and so I remember sitting in that parking lot literally nearly in tears because I couldn't get a simple job. So because of that, I had um, decided at that point, um, well, I, I just, I mean, I didn't really, it was kind of hard to figure out what decision to make at that point because I didn't know what to do, but I had to get a head home and I was so broke. I didn't have enough money to get gas. And I was literally on fumes. So I'm going through my truck looking for change. And then I'm walking around a parking lot at a circle K to get enough change to get just enough fuel to get home. And on that way home, I had to stop at the uh, grocery store to get diapers with a coupon that my wife gave me because I had my infant son. Mm. I stumbled into a guy that used to run the office for the companies to run the equipment for. And he had uh, stopped me and said, hey, and asked what I was doing. I explained the situation. He offered to take me and my wife to dinner with a gift certificate that he had. So we went to Red Lobster and we sat down. He asked me if I'd be interested in the mortgage industry. I knew nothing about that. The only thing I knew about mortgage was that it was the word being used when the old man, the old woman were losing the farm on, um, on TV, some TV show, right? They just couldn't pay this mortgage. That's all I knew about it. Oh no. Well, he gave me the card for a broker friend of his. I cut a foot off my hair, I shaved, I went in and I interviewed and they started me off as a telemarketer. Um, and it was real wow. tough to get going. You know, that was late 1997. I went to, I finally got a job driving truck to Sacramento back every week. Then I stay in the office three days a week trying to build a business. Then uh, that wasn't working after three months. I went back to running heavy equipment, get up by 3 a.m., be at the job site by 4 a.m., work till noon or 1, get to the office by 2, work till 10 p.m., sleep three to four hours a night for a year. And then the interest rates dropped below 7%, and I decided to jump full, full balls into it. It has been, a, it was a battle at first, but finally found my groove in 19, excuse me, 2003 when I started working with real estate investors coming into the Phoenix Valley. And it kind of started to take off from there and it got its own legs. And um, at that point, um, things were going very well until the uh, 2008 crash. Mm. Um, that crippled me, well, actually in, in a big way. Now, uh, August 8, 2008, two days from now, it'll be 10 years. I was in a motorcycle accident at 80 plus miles an hour. Uh, person shoved me into another car on the freeway. I was put in a wheelchair, oh, had massive memory loss and had to start over. So that's kind of where it all, what? that's kind of that, that quick background of where things started until the, the people started to come back around after the crash buying investment real estate. And that's where I really found my business today in 2009, when people were coming into Arizona uh, looking to uh, purchase investment real estate. And I started doing those loans and I started traveling from there to Indiana, to Texas, to other parts of the South and Midwest. And now I've exploded my business to be in 23 states. And it's been just an amazing journey that I have been able to see, start, take a beating, start up again, take another beating. And it just slowly grows to the point now that's just uh, it's a little bit overwhelming. 
Wow. Oh my God, man. That is incredible. Um, <laughs> geez. And a lot to unpack too, but so, so a motorcycle accident. So how, Oh, uh, we'll, we'll get to that. I, I, I feel like I've, I've got to touch that one, but so you, so you, you got into investing, right? After having gone and tried so many of these different things, well, can you walk us through, you know, what that first deal was like for you? I mean, having done that mortgage brokering and then being able to work with investors and like, how, how, what happened with that? Well, my first deal back when I started doing real estate investing is, um, there was actually a pretty cool one. I bought a, um, uh, where I bought my house. So actually, I still own the same house I bought in 2001, but, um, the guy I bought it from a real estate broker got me in on a deal where a, uh, um, there was a house on five acres that I was able to purchase at a certain price, split the property up into three parcels, sell the, the house on 1.6 acres at, at a, an upswing in the market for a profit. And I got the other two acres, acres free and clear. And I sat on those for a number of years. And now I'm carrying a note on those, a personal note that I I'm, uh, I wrote for somebody to pay me at an 8% interest on those. So I'm making interest on that. Plus, you know, I got the, 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 uh, the two lots for free. Um, now, years later, I sold them for just under a hundred thousand. I'm carrying the note, and eventually, when they pay that off, I'll, I mean, it's just that one was a really big deal to me. That's continued to on go. So that was my very first yeah. investment. Deal. I'm still in it. What is that? Uh, Thirteen years later, um, wow. collecting payments on it. So there is so many different opportunities in real estate investing that some may not recognize and may not. Um, may not um, know what the outcome might be. It's just get into it, take a step. Now there's been other deals since then that were just brutal on me. You know, I, I bought into some stuff at an anticipated uh, equity growth and then the market crashed. Some people right. would say, Hey, you were in the business. Why didn't you see it coming? Um, I, I'd never noticed it before. I mean, literally my only experience was a market going up. I'd never seen the down market. I was only, what, maybe six, seven years in the business when the, when the market crashed. I came out of the mines for crap's sake. So there's no way I would have seen it coming because I didn't know what to look for. But now right. I know, you know, history is teaching us a lot of stuff. Um, in fact, um, there's a movie um, rounders uh, with Matt Damon and, um, and uh, Ed Norton. You, I think we, uh, we talked earlier, you said you had not seen that yet. Right. There is a, um, there was a statement in there. Um, there was a quote from a guy by the name of Jack King that says, few players recall big lots, excuse me, three players recall big pots they have won, strange as it seems. But every player can remember with remarkable accuracy the outstanding tough beats of his career. So that tells, it tells me we have to go through those beatings because if you don't, you're not going to have that salt of a memory of things. You need to get, get pounded a little bit so you can remember the lesson. Because if you didn't and you did nothing to win all the time, you'd have no lessons. You'd have nothing, no growth in life. Amen. That is very true. That is very true. And we all need some growth <laughs> in order to, to continue achieving the goals that we set forth, man. That's, that is awesome. So, so, so you said that you are, right, so you have taken lessons learned and now you've analyzed this market. Um, so what lessons learned have you taken away from that crash? Um, for the, for the most part, um, really is being a lot more conservative with, with my own personal um, requirements of life. Right. Uh, at the time, man, I was, I was spending money like it would not stop. I uh, remember when I first got in the industry, somebody said, once you reach five years, it all just goes up from there. Well, my fifth year, I was making 
I was making a stupid amount of money. You know, I was in my mid twenties, uh, actually late twenties, making um, just under three hundred grand a year. So I felt like it was unstoppable, right? So you get to that point where you're making that kind of an income, then you um, you think that you can do whatever. And then when it did, when the music did stop, it really was brutal on me. Um, mm. And then I found that I was not not uh, unstoppable, and I was not immune to to uh, a massive beating. Call this person, tell me to be late. So that would be the first and ultimate lesson I learned there. And then never, I also, you know, don't, it was, it was also a thought of myself, uh, the humility that I, that you gain from taking a beating like that. Um, I think he was, um, Michael, excuse me, I'm trying to, trying to think of who it was that said this. Um, Mike Tyson, actually. Mike Tyson said it, that um, if you're not, I can't remember exactly what he said. I was going to have to paraphrase this, but um, if you're not humble, the humbleness will be thrust upon you. Mm. And if you look at his story, you know, a guy being paid tens of millions of dollars per fight, and then they take the beating that he took financially and uh, personally. Right. Um, 100% correct. There's another person that can really add some great insight to us that you walk around uh, with an attitude. Uh, people can't wait to see you fall on your face. And they're going to stand over you and take joy in your beating. But if you walk around with the right type attitude, being helpful to others, they can't wait to help you when you're down. Um, and that's one of the things that I would say that I've learned more than anything from that beating that I took. Hmm. Wow. All right. Well, definitely, uh, that's definitely some, it's a good word of wisdom. And, and so tell us a little more about, I mean, I know it's just really off topic here, but about the motorcycle accident. I mean, so you took a beating there and quite the recovery, but I mean, from what it sounds like you, you came back, you know, stronger than ever, you know, even with a, a burning passion to continue and hit it hard. So, so tell us about that journey. Like how, how was that? Um, that was, um, that was interesting. I was at the time I was you know, running a, a, a branch, a, uh, was actually a branch manager for a company at the time and still doing all right, still making decent money. Um, then also I, I do fabrication work on the side just because of my year, my, my days back in the oil fields. And a friend of mine had me working with him on this, this English double decker bless. We were turning into this almost like a mobile strip club, if you will. It was pretty wild what we were doing to this thing. And we've been going every night for over a month now, sleeping four hours a night working on this thing. And I finally, I was just, I was tired. I was like, guys, I need to take some time away. I'm going to jump on the bike and I'm going to cruise for four, for three days. It's August 8th is coming up of 2008. Eight is my lucky number. It's happened to be on a Friday. So I'm going to take that three-day weekend. I'm going to go ride. Uh, jumped on the bike and 15 minutes later, you know, I'm just driving down the hall and down the road and a guy that was next to me in a Ford truck flipped on his blinker and just came over right into me. Um, I saw him coming. I looked to my right. There's nobody there. So I hit the throttle to get away from him. And just then the car behind me started to pass. I clipped her front bumper. So I went flipping. And I don't know if you've ever been to Arizona during the, during the August, uh, month, but it's quite warm here. Um, and it was 1224 in the afternoon. I went skipping down the freeway and I laid there on the blacktop in 115, 118 degree weather. Oh uh, no. Cooked me, shattered my legs, collapsed my right lung. Um, I used to race mountain bikes. So I took a, took the impact. I, I curled myself up, took the impact from my right shoulder and it just obliterated a bunch of uh, ribs and stuff. So it really kind of screwed me up, put me in a wheelchair, took a pretty, uh, pretty heavy impact to the head with my, but I still had a helmet on, but a big crack in it. Amen. So I had um, experienced a lot of memory loss as a result. 
Ooh. And um, so when I came out of the, uh, the hospital um, and was forced to be in a wheelchair and you have to relearn everything, you know, having to start over. I only had one good limb, my left arm that I could use. But you learned a lot about yourself and your abilities when you don't allow that to debilitate you. I mean, I, before that, I was running marathons. I was climbing mountains. I was doing all kinds of stuff. And then to just go from Mach 2 to stop was a tough thing for me. Um, so I was forcing myself to push hard and, um, and get through that faster. And since then, after that, not only did I get my legs back, I was able to walk again. Um, I took my my enjoyment of climbing and, and hiking and uh, all those outdoor activities. And I joined um, the regular, the local sheriff's department's uh, rescue unit. So now I'm in, uh, was it now 10 coming up on 10 years later, I guess it's nine years later when I joined that um, I'm in charge of the technical rescue unit, which is all your high angle uh, rope related stuff. They're at rescue unit to the, where myself and a team of four, we can be flown in, repel out of a helicopter, extract somebody out of a really bad scenario. I'm also in charge of their off-road rescue unit where you know, we'll jump in Jeeps, we'll crawl in there deep into the mountains where somebody may have rolled their vehicle. We've been trained to cut people out of rolled vehicles with, with just high lift jacks and chains and, and get them out of one of the worst experiences of their life. And we're able to give back. Um, well, I'm able to give back because of me being, being given back my mobility. And so I felt it was only, it's only fitting to be able to use that mobility for the benefit of somebody else. Wow. That is absolutely incredible, Aaron. You are an amazing being. <laughs> I'm telling you, that is so motivating, man. <laughs> wow. Well, so, thank you. I, I appreciate that. I, um, yeah. it, it seems somebody else benefit. Um, is probably the greatest motivation I've experienced. And now, you know, my business, what it is now, working with the real estate investor, I get to witness that on even on greater scale, if you will. So how I, how I approach it, now you're working with real estate investors, and that was what this podcast is really centered towards, is helping those individuals who are looking to make something more of their life feel more comfortable with going into it. And how I've seen is many people are coming into this it's very unknown territory and it's very, it can be, you can be fairly fearful stepping into it because you're in, in the mindset that we have, um, we live in a very consumer based economy, right? Would you, would you disagree with me that 72% of the U S economy is made up of consumption? Yeah. Um, makes sense. That's absolutely. Well, an alarming statement that I heard last January, um, from somebody who used to work for the central bank is that, um, 19.6 or 19.7% of the global economy is the U.S. consumer. That's a pretty alarming statement when you consider that much of the whole world is dependent upon the U.S. The US to consume things. Um, and why that's important right now is because that's how people are programmed. They're programmed by whatever media outlet is hitting them at that time, whether it be uh, an app on their phone, whether it be an email that pops in, something on uh, the television, if they happen to be watching that, ads on their computer, you name it, is to get them to consume something. Right. And so when you think about real estate, that's the same thing. All the banking information out there to get you to, to, to go for whatever is the, the cheapest and the fastest, right? And they're thinking about real estate as they're coming into it as them spending money and going into debt. Right? Does that make sense? Yeah, makes sense. Well, my job is to help them in that first meeting to get their the structure in their mind accurate in the sense that they're no longer a consumer coming into uh, into a position of consuming something. They are now the CEO of their startup real estate investment firm. They are taking liquid capital that they have and they're moving it from a liquid account 
to a non-liquid asset that will grow by virtue of the fact of them just owning the real estate. Um, many people think that, hey, if I just buy a cash, I'll make more money. It makes sense from a consumer perspective, but if you think about the leverage accurately, you're actually losing money by not leveraging it. Do you mind if we do a little bit of math just to, uh, just oh, to support? Yeah, no, please about? go for it. Absolutely. So a lot of times I'll start asking these questions and for some people are way too simple, but simplicity is necessary because one of the things I, um, we know is math is it's either right or it's wrong, right? There's no mid, there's no close when it comes to math. <laughs> yep. That is Close true. is still wrong. So we're going to talk about a transaction uh, on a hundred thousand dollar, the hundred thousand dollar transaction at twenty percent down, right? Mm-hmm. And we're going to say it's making a a one percent rent to value ratio. So I'm going to ask you what those numbers are, and what it does is means that you and I are on the same page. So hundred thousand dollar acquisition, twenty percent down. How much is that twenty percent? Twenty k. Yep. Twenty k. Right. And then if you're doing twenty percent down, that means there is a leverage coming in there in the form of a loan at 80%. How much is that? That's 80,000, right? 80,000. Correct. And then we're talking about a 1% rent evaluation. How much is that? It's 1%. That's about a thousand. So yeah. A thousand bucks. Correct. So we're also going to say that your closing costs between the lender, the title, the appraiser, the inspector, the taxes, the insurance, everything is 5,500. Does that sound fair? Okay. Yeah. That sounds about right. So if you're putting 20% down, and then all your settlement charges are going to be 5500 bucks. How much is that in total? So 20%, 55000 so that's about 20000 I'm sorry, 25500 bucks. 25500 bucks, correct. Right. That's, that's, that's dead on. And so you would just, and then if we're talking about a 1% rent to value ratio of $1,000, does it seem reasonable that you would retain at least $250 of that 1000 after you pay the payment on the loan? the taxes, the insurance, and the property management, not including maintenance and vacancy, just the hard costs. Does it seem reasonable? Just to hard costs. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's nice. That's right. That's probably even very, very uh, conservative, conservative, right? Exactly. Yeah. So 250 a month. So most people are going to take, and they're going to work out a cash on cash return model at 250 a month and factor that into the 25,500 to get their, their cash on cash return. Correct. Right. Okay, so this is where, in my opinion, this is just the opinion of Aaron Chapman, that that cash-on-cash return model has been created for consumers. Because in reality, cash-on-cash, as I understand, I could be 100% off base here, but as I understand it, that was created for somebody who's taken their 25500 and putting into something that basically vaporizes that money. It's gone, right? Um, so like you're, buying, you're, you're starting up a business or investing in a new startup business that the money's being used for, you know, startup costs, that it's, if, if it fails, it's gone. There's nothing coming back to you. Mm-hmm. I've been there. I've invested money in stuff that just vaporized before. But your cash on cash return is you recovering that money over time within little increments, you know, 250 bucks at a time, you're going to recover that money over a certain length of time, then make money on it, right? right. Your return, your increased return doesn't come until you get your money back. Mm-hmm. Well, in the example of real estate, my argument is, 20,000, your down payment is not gone. Now the 5,500, it is gone. That's gone to services. You're not going to get anything back out of that one to, to pay people to do a job. But the 20 grand moved from that liquid account to that non-liquid asset is still yours. It, yeah. It's just locked up someplace where it's protected from three different things. The three things that's protected from is one, inflation. Inflation right now is eroding our dollar by faster than the 2% the government's claiming. We know it's a lot more than that. 
I'm just going to say it's 5% just to be generous. Oh, wow. And let's say um, <laughs> okay. it's also being protected by, you know, there's new laws out there. And it's been talked about of um, the, uh, I don't know what it's called, laws or whatever the regulation is, whatever that might be. We had a bailout at one point. Now there's such thing, there are t- people are talking about this bail-in right? Where the, the bank gets in trouble, they can take depositors money and issue the depositor stock. If that is truly the case, that's what? a big risk, right? Oh. Have you not heard that? I've not heard that at all. Wow. Now do a Google search on that. That yeah. I have had hit my desk a hundred times. People oh talking about so-called bail-in thing where they don't, they're not going to go to the government and get their money anymore. They really are in that position. They take the depositors money. They hold on to that. They issue stock to that depositor. Well, if they're at that point, their stock is probably not going to be worth a whole hell of a lot. So I don't have a lot of faith in that process either. Then there's one other thing we're really protecting itself from uh, the most, I'd say the biggest risk to our assets. There's one thing we would be protecting it from by putting into real estate. What do you think that is? I would mention tax, but I mean, I don't know. You tell me. (laughs) The biggest risk is ourselves. We are creatures of impulse, right? (laughs) <laughs> that makes so much sense. Yeah. Because <laughs> if that money is in your account and accessible to you, you could readily turn that into a boat pretty easily, right? Yeah, absolutely. That is so true. But if so you put it into real estate, it's locked up. It's locked up. You can't get your hand on it. Right. So let's, let's do a quick equation. Man. So you've got a 20% down. We've established that's 20 grand. You've got a loan of 80,000, right? Mm-hmm. Well, divide that 80 by 30 years because this is a 30-year note we're talking about. What does that come to? 80,000 divided by divided 30. Divided by 30. Yeah, let me get that in the old calculator here. It gives us 2,666. So about... 2,000, $2,666.66, right? Right, exactly. Six, 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 six. So keep going, right? <laughs> exactly. So that's how much you're getting every year on the average. So somebody else, your tenant, your renters paying that off, right? They're paying down that 80,000. Right. So over that 30 year window, they're paying off $2,666 per year. You take that figure, divide that into your 20%, which is 20,000. That's equal to 13.33% of that 20,000 every year being added on top of the 20,000 over that 30 year window. So if you think about it, your 20 grand is growing by 13.33% of the original 20 grand until you reach 100,000, correct? Right. So just by virtue of the fact that you leveraged it, you're making that money regardless of any cash flow, right? Right, absolutely. So we put that on the shelf. That's on the shelf now. We know the 20 becomes 100 over 30 years. Now let's, now let's train our, our attention back to that 5,500 bucks. That's spent, it's gone, right? But you're also getting $250 a month. Right. How long is it going to take for you to get your $5,500 back at $250 a month? Not long at all, honestly. Do that math. Should take about, what, 22 months? 22 months. Yeah. 22 months, and you are now actually at square one. You've made all your money back. Your 20 is still, 20 grand is still yours. You got your $5,500 back in your pocket. Now you're making money. So we know in this example, we're talking about a 30 year example. So that's 360 months, right? Right. Subtract the 22 months from that. And how many months do you have left? Uh, 360 by 22. I should be able to do that math in my head, but I can't. So 338. <laughs> 338 months left to cash flow. So you multiply that times 250, and what do you have? That gives you 8, 000, $84,500. $84,500. Your 20000 made you how much? 
the 20,000 made you 84,500. Well, I guess my minus that. So no, your 20,000 made you 80,000 because that's over there on the shelf making, uh, getting that note paid off. So you made 80,000 because you had 20,000 involved in there, Okay. but your, your $5,500 got paid back and then your cash flow made you 84,500. So you add the two together, you're making $164,500. Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's incredible. I guess you really Isn't don't that ridiculous? about all that, but that's, that's amazing. Yeah. And that's $164,500 after you paid yourself back 5,500 bucks, put that back in your pocket. And you, you still have your 20 grand sitting there. So it's really, you know, you're at 164,500, right? Plus the other 20, you're at 184,500 and you had your 5,500 bucks on top of that. You're at 189, I'm 190,000 was what was generated by setting $20,000 aside and not touching it. Wow. That is absolutely incredible. (laughs) And a lot of people don't think about that. Well, a lot of people try and catch me in something. They'll say, wait a minute. You, you may remember we, you said that not to count on maintenance and vacancy. Well, let's talk about that a moment. Do you think if you are a good CEO of your business, meaning you're making the right choices, those choices being finding the right property that's going to rent and make you a revenue. If you're choosing that property, that's going to stay occupied. You and you, that's right. Being picking one with the right with a good roof with good mechanicals, does it seem probable that you can maintain that property for that 30 year window for 40% of the original acquisition price? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Why not, right? If you did the right job over that 30 years, you should be able to cover that for 40 grand, right? That's that's really generous. That's a lot of the turnkey people I work with across the country say, Don't say that, Chapman, that's way too expensive. Like, I'm going to say it. I get to be the CEO of this business or CFO of this business. I'm going to step on the number. So 40000 So you back the 40000 off of the one sixty four five hundred. What do you have? Uh, 40000 you get, what, 120000 20 something, right? $124,500. Right. After paying yourself back 5500 you still have the 20000 you put aside to begin with, and you set aside $40,000 for all contingencies. Tell me, what's the real return here? A lot. <laughs> it's still a lot. And well, it, when I calculate it, my calculator says ridiculous. <laughs> exactly right. That's amazing. That is so amazing. one of the reasons I go over that is, one, is we need to be on the same page. We need to be thinking correctly. Um, you need to be um, kind of forming that that neurological connection towards looking at the math in a more simple manner. People are always looking for the complicated math, the really complicated equation. It doesn't have to be complicated. It can be very, very simple. Um, and it has, it needs to be really simple. It, complication only makes things more difficult, uh, makes it a greater chance of breaking. When you simplify it and you understand it in those little, those simple terms, it becomes more exciting. Um, and how I, how I put myself into this, this whole process here is, each investor is really, like I said before, the, the um, CEO of their real estate investment business. And what's really cool about that is they're buying a cash-flowing business for the market value of its sole asset. Think about that. Let that sink in for a moment because most times if you're going to buy a business that's operational and that is working and making you a cash flow, not only do you have to pay for the assets, the sticks, the bricks, the, the computers, the decks, the, the intellectual property and the, the filing cabinets, but you also have to pay for the earnings, right? You, you prepay like, you know, be five or 10 times earnings when they're done evaluating the business and giving you an appraisal on it. So 10 times earnings is not an uncommon request for somebody to sell a business to you. Well, in this example, that would be, you know, $12,000 a year, 
you know, thousand dollars a month. So that's one one percent one times earnings. Ten times earnings would be one hundred twenty thousand. That means if you are truly buying this as the business that it is, you'd be paying the hundred thousand for the property plus one hundred twenty thousand for the earning potential. You'd be paying two hundred twenty thousand dollars for this business. You know, but you actually get to buy it for less than half of that for, you know, basically just the market value of its sole asset. And then you get an operations division for most part because you get people that are going to rehab it. They're going to manage it, maintain it. That's a full operations division that comes with it for free. I'm applying for the CFO job every time I talk to a new person. You know, and the, one of the things I talk about in greater detail when it comes to this, this so-called CFO position I, I, I put myself up as you know, I'm not necessarily on their payroll as their CFO. It's just more of a mindset thing. Right. But somebody that they can turn to and ask questions when it comes time to make, an ex- to make a decision. Um, my business, you know, loan origination, you know, by, you know, helping people get financing in your regular conventional Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac style, 20% down, single family stuff, 25% down, multi-unit deals up to four units, um, 30-year fixed. That's the most common thing we do. The reason I've... I, I am actually one who puts myself in that position as often as I can because I don't want a person risking their business by going to just anybody, right? The average person in my industry, statistically speaking, as I understand, you know, this is what I, I've gathered from information handed to me, closes between three and four transactions per month. That is an annual experience of 36 to 48 transactions per year. That's what they, that's their experience of doing these, these transactions for people. Last year, I closed 676. This year, I've closed over 400. So far, I'm aiming for 700. And I've been doing this since 1997. So when a person has to make a decision who they put in that position to talk to about those next steps that they got to make and decisions they have to make as a CEO of their business, I say, who do you want to talk to? Somebody who has the experience of 36 to 48 transactions per year or somebody who has done over 600 a year and what that is, is my one year is equal to that other person's 15 to 18 years. So when you have a question or, you're, or the, new, the new investor buying a piece of real estate has a question about a specific scenario, there's a pretty darn good chance I've seen that scenario come up before. I've seen somebody make a decision about that before, and I've seen the outcome. And I can offer practical information to help them make the correct decision. I won't make it for them. They're the CEO. They, they have buck stops there. I'll give them all the data I can. Have you ever heard the, the term good judgment comes from experience and experience comes from bad judgment? Uh, yes. Yes, I have. Yeah. Well, That's a pretty telling statement, isn't it? That certainly is. It's, and it's a no-brainer as far as, you know, who you would choose to be on your team. You know, someone with a, a crap ton of experience or someone with a perceived amount of experience. I mean, the numbers, like you said, right, they don't lie. And the fact that you are now on track of doing 700 transactions here in this year, that's incredible. That's absolutely incredible. So, Well, thank you. And that's mostly real estate investors. And the reason I say that is not to pat myself on the back because it wasn't for my team kicking ass and the people who put in, put in trust in us. We wouldn't have those numbers to offer. But it's more to illustrate, like I was just saying, that We've, we, we have good experience to offer. Don't put yourself at risk by having to exercise bad judgment to get the experience. So eventually you get to use good judgment because what ends up happening is it costs you all your livelihood just to get the experience. And experience is a very thorough instructor. It will teach you very, very thoroughly over a lifetime, but you don't have the lifetime to put into it. Allow us to put a lot of that in there that you don't have to go through to get 
Um, and so that's why I feel that it's very, very necessary to help person um, to understand that we can offer a lot more than just here's your rate and here's your costs. Um, kind of like what I was saying with that Jack Keen situation, people remember the, the, they have with remarkable accuracy, the outstanding tough beats of his career. Now, it takes me back to elementary school. Um, I was, I went to a Pentecostal school in, in first grade. I, I skipped kindergarten because they didn't have a kindergarten at the time. So I was six, six years old in this school and they're teaching us the alphabet. And in that, with each letter of the alphabet, they're teaching, teaching us with a nursery rhyme or some sort of limerick. And we got to the letter M. And you can even, I can look it up online that this thing actually still exists. People are still teaching with this method. And it was about the letter M, they used uh, a story about this, this uh, mule named Milton. And the, the limerick went, uh, Milton the mule made a mistake. As he met her, read a map, he walked in the lake. Now, a picture of this, uh, this cartoon picture of this mule standing in the lake looking at a map. He, he completely walked off the road. He wasn't paying attention. Well, being the person that I am, even at six years old, I changed the limerick. And instead of having Milton walking in the lake, I had him pissing in a bucket, which <laughs> did not make my Pentecostal teacher very happy. Oh, no. <laughs> and so she took me right there by the ear and, and the little girl that laughed about it and drug us into the principal's office, who was the pastor. And he, he very ceremoniously got this briefcase out. It was one of those aircraft aluminum ones, opened it up. And in there was his, his uh, styrofoam padding in there that had a cutout for his paddle. He got that out and whooped our asses. Oh. So what, oh, it, what no. came of that, the reason I tell this story is because there's how many letters in the English alphabet? Uh, 20, oh my God, 24, right? <laughs> I was actually 26. 26. I actually had to, I had to look that up myself because like, I didn't really thought about that in a long time. Oh gosh, yeah. <laughs> there's 26 letters in the alphabet, but yet I only remember the nursery rhyme for one. Wow. And the only reason I remember the nursery rhyme for one was because I got my ass beat for it. Wow. So the reason I point that out is because we are all like that in some form or another. And I do not want the investors we work with to risk their, their livelihood and their children's welfare and their family's future to learn something the hard way when we've already learned it. I've been doing this for so long and working with so many people, and we, I, have, I have such a great team with me. I, I, I basically introduced them as the wizards behind the curtain, and I'm the smoke, mirrors, and BS, right? But we have learned together how to make others successful, and that is our goal. That is our business. We close the loans just so we can generate a revenue and stay in existence. Wow. Amen. Oh, my goodness. Guys, I really hope that you are taking awesome notes here because this is amazing. And if you're driving or if you are not in the position to be writing stuff down, definitely go back and re-listen to this episode because, oh, this is intense. And, uh, and you, I want to highlight something you said earlier. It was very, very profound, um, you know, about experience and how, you know, it'll take you a lifetime to gain a lot, but we don't have a lifetime afforded to us to really spend on gaining this experience. So having that experience um, with a team that already, you know, has it in place is beneficial. I mean, it can literally help you uh, achieve so much more in a faster time and, um, that resonates well uh, with me and I, I know um, with my team as well. One of the books that we all love is uh, Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss. And that's just something he, you know, harped on a lot, you know, is automation or, you know, being able to put professionals in place that are experienced and that can take the time or, or do they take time, the time away from you because they've already learned the process and how it goes and they can make it a whole lot faster. 
Um, so that is awesome. Wow. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate you saying so. Um, yeah. it, it's interesting. It just, it just rolls off my tongue and it doesn't seem so, so, um, extraordinary because I've been living it for so long. And then when I get an opportunity to talk to somebody new and they, they absorb this data and it just seems like it's it, it, like you said, it's profound or it just seems to be commonplace to myself. Um, it really gives me that charge of energy to stay in what I do, uh, to keep at this. Like, that's what, that's what keeps me in this business. It's not because of loans. Loans are completely unsexy. It's about the people. And you start seeing the lights turn on and the impact that information has. Um, and that's why I just, I enjoy just digging into and continue to keep doing what I do. Absolutely, man. I, I agree with a hundred percent. Um, and yeah, and thank you for doing what you're doing. And I really hope that you guys out there listening, take advantage of Aaron and his company. Cause this is, this is definitely awesome. Um, wow, man, I, they, you've given us a lot, a lot of nuggets of wisdom. Um, and this has been amazing. Um, I'm going to take you through the, uh, the same bonus round uh, that I take all of my other uh, interviewees here because I think it's also great. It gives our listeners uh, a little insight to you a little more personally. Um, so if you don't mind, I've got three questions for you. All right? Sure. Fair all right. So your favorite book, what is your number one read that you'd recommend? And why? Number one read. I've got a lot of favorite books and I've only started reading in the last like two, three years and it's really changed my life. But the one that stands out today, um, I mean, anybody can say scripture and I'm going to go a different route than scripture because um, that is that would truly be my first route. But I'm going to take something else. There's a book called The Master Key System by Charles F. Hamill. Um, and he goes through uh, a process. It was published, I think, 1910 um, of getting your mind trained to think properly. And the reason that that is so dang important to me is that the more I think accurately about things, the more I think uh, in a positive direction and point myself where I need to go, the more I can't see the negative thoughts anymore, the negative aspect of anything. Um, I've got other experiences to be able to share about really focusing in on my goals and then not only achieving the goal, but other ancillary things that I wrote down that I didn't even really think were uh, part of it, but they came about. So I'd love to share that at some point. I know we're, we're stressed for time there, but that right now I say is something that each person needs to put on their daily routine is going through that book that breaks it down into 27 lessons. One day, you know, every week you read the same thing over and over and over again and do the example and then go to the next lesson. That's amazing. Wow. Okay. Definitely. Um, that uh, will be in the show notes guys. So, uh, so definitely look for it. Uh, a link to the, to uh, this book. It's going to be great. Um, ah, all right. So, okay. Question number two, who is your biggest hero and why? It had to be my parents. Um, and I know it sounds kind of cliche, but in reality I'm here because of them and their the uh, lessons that I learned from them. They, they both would just take a beating and get back up, take a beating and get back up. I remember that. I mean, it, I've never seen two people hustle so much in our life just to make ends meet and not really realize that they were having to go to those extents to keep things moving forward. Um, and that's what, that was where my foundation came from, my work ethic, my desire to not, not give up. And I've, I've come to the conclusion that bruise, bleeding, missing limbs, I'm going to get to the goal that I've set. I don't care what it takes to get there. And that comes from them. 
and their uh, their drive to continue to accomplish what they set forth to do and not lay down. And I remember if they, if my mom sleeps, it's hanging upside down. I mean, she goes and goes and goes. She's 62 years old and, or 64 now. My dad's 71 or 72. I, I kind of lose it here and there, but they don't stop. I don't know how people that age can go with the energy levels that they do, but they just keep going. Amen. Amen. That is definitely my life goal <laughs> to be, you know, older and, you know, very, very active. Um, there's a guy that lives on my block. I don't even know his age. And to be honest, he looks like he's probably in his 80s. Maybe, maybe he's in his late 70s, but always see him running out, running around outside every single day without fail. He's just going on this jog. And looking good, you know, in great shape. I mean, I, I haven't haven't uh, had the chance to actually, you know, have a conversation with him. But one of these days, I'm going to I'm going to pick his brain and, and just kind of ask him how he's maintained his health, you know, because he, he looked really good. So there's probably some awesome information inside the head more than just the health, and I would think that it'd be worthwhile to stop him. And I'm like you, I yeah. when I come to the grave, I'm coming in hot. There's no reason <laughs> for me to get back. I'm going to get it. I'm going to move on. When I'm done doing what I do here. It's to hand it off to somebody else, and I will never stop doing what I do. I'm going to be the face of this business for a long time. The brand will, will I'm building a brand that will endure, but it's also a brand that's never going to die, and that's my intent. And then when I move on to the next stage of of life, it's not to relax. It's go kick ass at something else. Amen. Yeah, that is exactly what I'm talking about, man. <laughs> oh, so motivating, Aaron. Dude, this is, this is amazing. <laughs> All right. So... Um, all right, let's let's get number number three here. Um, so, again, you have given us amazing nuggets, and this is uh, this will definitely just kind of cap it off here. But if you had to keep it to three, what nuggets would you have for those who are just getting started in the real estate investing game? Well, rather than keeping it to three, I'm going to keep it to one, and the one is really probably the most important lesson I've ever learned in my my life up to this point. Um, and what it is, is um, I think people have not quite fully understood the practical application of gratitude. Um, gratitude, I know a lot of people talk about how it makes you feel differently if you start off your day with gratitude and how you approach the world, right? Um, but I've learned a little bit different. There's a true practical application to the concept. Um, so I kind of go backwards a few years ago. I had a newer employee. Um, and she had come from a different industry, very kind of similar, but not quite the same. And I had told her that when she reached a certain length of time with me, we'd reevaluate her pay and reevaluate um, her, her role and what she's contributed. And that time came around. So I was looking at it and I was thinking of what kind of increase we give to her in her hourly uh, salary and then her bonus. And I had a number in mind, but I went ahead and started asking questions of my, my boss. I don't own this company. I, I work for a firm. And then of others that I knew uh, in different industries, what was a, what was a common uh, increase in a salary for somebody in that position? And they said th- 2 to 3%. 3% if they did a really good job. Well, that seemed really, really low to me. And when I figured out the number I was thinking, I was thinking 10%. So I presented that to my higher-ups, and they said, there's no way in hell. They said, maybe 3% if I can justify it. Well, I said, well, I'm going to fight back. I want 10. And I want a 30% bumper bonus with certain metrics. So they made me go backwards and prove where she had made that kind of a difference to our business that would warrant that kind of an increase. So I dug through emails and dug through production reports and all this information to be able to piece together her contribution. And when I was done, they approved it. 
So I was ecstatic. I mean, two weeks of hell went by for me to prove this, and I got them to buy off on it. So that was a big deal to me. I remember bringing her in and sitting her down and going through her contribution and how much I appreciated her and how excited I was to reward her for what she did. Right? It was like having my my uh, having that your kid and you're buying him that bike for Christmas and you can't wait to show them the bike that they've been dreaming about all year long and how you saved and didn't eat lunch for several for uh, several months just to save enough money to buy this bike, right? Because I went through, in my mind, it was hellish to do this. I, I don't like that kind of thing. And when I presented it to her with this anticipation, I saw this look on her face change. It got kind of twisted. And she looks at me and she goes, that's it? She goes, I would have thought you could do better than this. Oh, so wow. I went from an excitement to just pure anger almost instantaneously. And my, my instinct at that point and if those are her who have put themselves in this position right now can, would really get in touch with their feelings, my instinct at that point was to not only give her, take the, the, the raise back, I wanted that back, but take the job to, I wanted to tell her, clean out your desk and leave. I was just angry. But I allowed myself to go into a coaching moment and talk to her about how, you know, that it's not the best reaction. If it was me, I would look at this as even if you felt disappointed and expected more to be thankful for what you got and ask, you know, I, I'm really looking to try and achieve more. What, what do I need to do to do better and, and achieve a, a, a higher position? Right. I can get behind it. I can get behind somebody taking that approach, but the approach she took just angered me. Well, later on that week, I'm exiting the freeway coming to my office and there was a homeless man uh, at the freeway exit standing there with his, with his cardboard sign. Um, and there's something about him that really just kind of dug at me as I saw him there. Um, and I knew he needed the help. So I rolled down my window as I'm rolling up to where he was. And when I stopped, he was, I was still probably about three car lengths away from him. And I reached to a spot where I had cash hidden in my truck. And it was hidden there because of that experience 20 years ago when I ran out of money. I need to go climb through my truck and walk around a parking lot to get enough cash to get home. And oh, I pulled wow. that bill out and I held my hand out. He approached. He accepted that folded bill, thanked me, and turned to walk away. And as he's walking away, he unfolds it. He turns back and looks at me and holds it up. He says, are you serious, man? And I said, why? He goes, this is 20 bucks, man. And just then I put my arm, my hand out to him, almost in a wave type position, say it's yours. He turned, he reached for my hand. He took it, pulled it to his chest, bowed his head and said a prayer of thanks to God and asked a blessing upon me. Wow. And then with tears streaming down his cheeks, he looks back up at me because I'm in a lifted vehicle and he's thanking me profusely. Now at this time, uh, sense of guilt just overwhelmed me that I didn't have more cash on me to give. Mm. I was thinking, man, do you have a square? Cause I'll swipe my credit card. I wanted to <laughs> give him more than what I had. Well, if you know, Arizona drivers, by this time, the light was green and people are honking their horn behind me. So we exchanged right. God bless you. And I started to leave. And then it hit me. That's the practical application of gratitude. On one side, I gave a person $10,000 a year and I felt as though she spat in my face. And I was angry. And I only wanted that back. I wanted everything back I ever gave her. She deserved nothing, in my opinion, at that time. Right. Here's another guy. I gave him 20 bucks. And because of his response, I wanted to give him everything I could, but felt guilty I didn't have more. That's how it is between us as humans. If we express real, true gratitude to another, they would willingly do more for us. If we express disdain for that other, they will take everything they can. And that's just human nature. So if we understand that, 
and we employ it properly, it only benefits us to walk around with that sense of gratitude. And I remember sitting in an event where a guy uh, was speaking and he says, you don't get out of bed in the morning without three new things to be grateful for. Well, try and do that exercise. I found out for three weeks, you kind of run out of stuff, right? So I took the lesson that I learned from this homeless man that I get new things every day. Right now, I've got a gentleman by the name of Michael Foster I'm on the phone with. He was introduced to me by somebody else. And this individual uh, that introduced us is another person um, that, uh, his name, Eric. Those are two names that are going to end up on this list of people that I write down every single day. And when I go to refer before deity, I thank God for those people that are brought into my life. And I ask a blessing upon them the exact same way I was taught. And that has changed my life. That has changed how I look at everything as being able to approach things with gratitude and also with a willingness to bless other people's lives, not only approaching the foot of deity in their behalf, but also with purpose to change their life, not just, just to, to benefit me, but to benefit them. And that, that exercise in itself has probably been the greatest gold nugget I can hand to anybody in life is if you approach it with gratitude the right way, what you're really doing is bringing things back to you. Amen. Aaron, you literally just became one of my favorite people on this earth. That is absolutely <laughs> amazing. Like I, That story is so uplifting. I can't even. <laughs> wow. There's one thing I ask of people, everybody who's listening to this, they would please help me out here. I have one thing I'm trying to do. I'm trying to make it to a TED stage with that talk, with that particular lesson, because I think the world could could stand to benefit from it. Not to benefit me, but to benefit everybody around us. Because can you imagine the world we live in if oh people operate God. with that level of gratitude? Absolutely. And I, I would love to be able to take what these two people have taught me. And I, I appreciate both of them. I still stay in contact with that, that, that woman that worked for me because she is awesome. And she taught me an awesome lesson. And I'm so grateful she put herself in that position to be vulnerable and put me there to teach me that. And that, that man, I'd never seen him on the side of the freeway again. He was there for me. And so that lesson I want to get to the world. If you go to the TED Talks website, there is a nomination page there where you can nominate somebody to be on that stage. I want to take that to the planet. I'm trying to one podcast at a time, but you can only reach so many people. I want to get this out even more. Oh my goodness. Yes. Well, that link will certainly be at the top of the show notes page. So guys, please go out there. If you're listening to this right now, all right, I want you guys to go in that link. And go ahead and nominate Aaron because, yes, I completely agree. The the world needs to look at, you know, things through the lens of gratitude. I mean, it just, just from making, you know, that affirmation each morning can just completely change your life. It, it, it is, it is definitely done wonders for me too, man. So I feel the exact same way. Wow. Oh my goodness. That is powerful. Such an awesome story. Oh my goodness. All right. Thank you. I appreciate that. Wow. <laughs> oh no, thank you. Thank you for imparting that um on on me and as well as uh, our audience. Um and you've given us so many great nuggets. Man, I I am super excited to uh to continue this uh, this relationship and and man, and we got to bring you back on this podcast because there's no way we can just do this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got some other things I'd love to be able to share with folks. Awesome. So we will certainly bring you back on for something else again. Um, trust me on that. That's, that's definitely coming. So guys look forward to that, but all right, man, we're, uh, we're running out of time. Um, how can our listeners get in contact with you? 
Uh, the best is my website, AaronBChapman.com. Um, A-A-R-O-N, B is in boy. That's not my middle name. Chapman, C-H-A-P-M-A-N.com. Okay. Awesome. That'll be on the show notes page as well, guys. So go ahead and take a look at that and, uh, and get in touch with Aaron. Uh, Most definitely. And they can also look me up on the NMLS website. My NMLS ID is 267844. That shows on my licenses that I'm legal to do, uh, do lending in the lending industry. Awesome. All right. Yep. Definitely check that out. All right, man. Thank you so much again. Uh, is there anything else you want to you wanna say to the listeners before we roll out? No, I just appreciate you taking the time to allow me on your show and, uh, and those listeners who are taking the time away from their life to listen to me. And hopefully we've said some things here that will definitely benefit your life. Oh, certainly have. Certainly have, guys. All right. So now, guys, I need you guys to go ahead and reround, rewind this episode and go listen to it again. All right. <laughs> because this has been awesome. <laughs> All right, Aaron. Thanks again so much, man. Appreciate it. Thank you, brother. Wow. Guys, talk about powerful. Oh my gosh, that was amazing. Listen, this is what I need you guys to do right now. I need you guys to go to the show notes page and I need you to go ahead and click on that link. Go vote him, vote for him on that TED Talk thing because we need to promote him. That's absolutely amazing. All right. And I also need you guys to go ahead and subscribe to this channel because we have awesome people on this podcast. I am totally convinced that we are going to do something crazy here, all right? So you don't want to miss it. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you hit us up on Facebook, hit us up on Instagram, and reach out to us because we want to know what is going on with you, all right? Anyway. Thank you so much for listening. Really appreciate all your kind reviews, uh, the good feedback that we're getting. Thank you so much for all the input that you're providing because you are making this community great. All right, I'm Mike Foster, signing out.